humans. Hello, 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 humans of the Twin Cities of Minnesota and of the greater world. How are you? This is Ellie Krug with Ellie Duporno Radio. I am so thrilled to be with you on this relatively chilly Monday morning. Although I'm taping this um, the week before this will air, I'm very confident it will still be chilly on March 18th. And so, because we're, well, don't even get me started on the weather or on the snow or now on the rain that is coming. Hello, how are you? Welcome to LA 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism and idealists. I am a practical idealist. I am trying to change the world for the better. And we have a really great show. Um, our the big interview is with Dr. Kurt Nelson of the Lantern Group. He is an industrial organizational psychologist, and he's going to talk with us about what makes for a good idealist. And then you've got my C block coming up uh, at the end of the show where I'm going to talk about something that happened to me on a, on a recent trip that I took when I was out trying to make the world a better place. Um, but here on, uh, on my A block at the beginning of the show, I want to talk about uh, something um, I want to I want to take you back a little bit as I'm apt to do okay and I want to take you back to the 1980s and in particular uh, the country of South Africa as of the 1980s <clears throat> now <clears throat> I know I've got a variety of ages who listen to this show but I'm going to guess that a number of you uh, maybe a large number of you um, remember the late uh, the early and mid and late 1980s when South Africa was in the grips of um, what was becoming quick, slowly percolating as a civil war based around race. Um, for years, um, beginning in the late 30s and the 40s, South Africa, um, well, South Africa had always been ruled by a white minority. Um, but as of by the time of the 80s, um, there were about 35 million people, largely black, in South Africa. Um, and by 1990, only 13% of the country was white. But um, for decades, that white minority um, had ruled with a clenched fist through a legalized system of segregation known as apartheid which is the Afrikaner translation for apartness. To enforce apartheid, the minority white ruled government of South Africa had enacted a series of laws that, f that forced the racial segregation of races, um, forced where um, different races in the country could live, where they could work, who they could marry, who they could even speak to or interact with. There was a series of passes where um, people of color other than white would be able to go into white-controlled uh, areas to work, um, but that was it. And those passes were controlled by times, uh, different times of the day that you could be, use the pass, other times not. <clears throat> Very serious penalties for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, the laws were enforced with brutal efficiency through imprisonment, beatings, and extrajudicial killings. So many times in the West, we talk about the Jim Crow South. This would be Jim Crow South on steroids. By the 1980s, there was international pressure bearing down on South Africa. It had become the subject of boycotts and international pressure to divest of the, the stocks of companies that were originated out of South Africa and then the stocks of companies that were doing business in South Africa. This was a very, very hot topic in the mid-1980s. Um, President, then President Reagan was um, implored um, to advanced the boycott to favor it. He did not. And that became a um, lightning rod for the domestic political scene in the United States. As this was going on, um, people other than white um, in South Africa began to collectively resist apartheid. <clears throat> there were, there were um, incidents of violence, um, but there was also great pressure for it to be a nonviolent movement patterned after what was going on in the United States, patterned after Gandhi. And by early 1990, Nelson Mandela, the great Nelson Mandela, 
who had been imprisoned for 27 years and who was the leader of the African National Congress. By early 1990, February of 1990, he was released from prison. And that that release began the spark um, of what would then become the end of apartheid in South Africa. Eventually, by 1994, I mean, in the history of man, I mean, this is remarkable. It is. And, and I am lucky to have lived through it. I wish that I had paid more attention to it. But by 1994, within four years of Nelson Mandela being released from prison, he was elected the president of South Africa. But by the time that Mandela was elected, um, South Africa was filled with anger and resentment over what had happened during apartheid, over what had happened during the history of the country to get it to a place where a mere handful of whites governed and controlled um, and terrorized um, the majority of blacks and other colors in that country. And it was determined that something needed to be done. The answer became the creation of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, that was overseen by South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Now, uh, I could do a whole show on um, Archbishop uh, Tutu, and perhaps I will. Um, But I will say this about him in, in regard to this piece I'm doing right now. He had long been a vocal voice for nonviolent resistance to apartheid. Um, so much so that um, he had been previously awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to bring apartheid to an end peacefully. So beginning in 1996, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, headed by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, began to hear witnesses. It began to hold hearings in various parts of the country. Its mandate was to bear witness to to record and in some cases to grant amnesty to the perpetuators of human rights violation during apartheid and then as well to offer reparations and rehabilitation to the victims of those human rights violations. The the, uh, Commission on Truth and Reconciliation was created, uh, also created a register of reconciliation where ordinary South Africans could express regret over their actions during apartheid and where they could, where they could state their remorse about how, how they were more remorseful and how they regretted how the, the poor treatment they did of people who were considered, quote, lesser or, quote, other in South Africa. This Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a major event in South Africa and in the history of modern time is uh, considered the gold standard for how to come about healing in a, in a society. Um, it conducted uh, hearings, as I said, over the course of several years. Uh, some of those hearings were televised live where people testified about beating or killing others in a bid to win amnesty. And some of those live hearings were where witnesses testified about the beatings or the death of loved ones. And then, even when not testified, not um, broadcast live, for more than two years, on every Sunday night in South Africa, on South Africa television, there was an hour-long summary of the previous week's hearings by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now you have to, I mean, think about this. Every week in South Africa, they were talking about how bad it had been, where the perpetuators of the violence and of the marginalization were coming forward, and where the victims were talking about how they had been harmed. From 1996 to 2003, more than 2,000 people told their stories publicly. And in the end, the commission granted 849 applications for amnesty by perpetuators of violence, including some who had killed. But they rejected the vast majority of those amnesty applications. They rejected 6,100. 
And some of those uh, applications that were rejected, those folks were later on prosecuted, but not all. And that, of course, created some problems and continues to create problems. Um, and by no means was the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission completely effective. There was criticism on both sides about its effectiveness. But one thing is clear, that it helped to focus on the wrongs that had occurred over so many years. And it gave the country an opportunity to reflect on those wrongs as it moved forward. It provided, the commission provided a platform for healing, a platform for people to be heard when otherwise their voices might not ever have been heard. And from an idealistic standpoint, this is why I am talking about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission from an idealistic standpoint. Truth and reconciliation are big idealistic notions. They overlay the idea that humans are capable of forgiveness and then of change as a result of that forgiveness and apology. And change um, that would enable a country to move forward. I will likely come back to this idea about truth and reconciliation, about the idea of a larger commission, because I frankly think it is needed in the United States of America. We have never publicly, systematically, uniformly talked about the wrongs that, it, that were perpetuated and continue to be perpetuated on people in our country who are other. And many times those people who are, quote, other, are people of colors other than the white color, people of socioeconomic classes other than upper middle income. This country has a lot to talk about. We have a lot of wrongs to admit. We have a great deal of forgiveness to be giving. But it won't happen unless we acknowledge our past and our present. And where we talk about the things that are causing us to be divided. Divided around race, divided around geography, and divided around economic standing. Stay tuned. I'll come back to that. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Kurt Nelson about what makes for an idealist. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I love to hear from listeners. And uh, most of all, if you could, follow me on Twitter. At Ellie Krug is the Twitter handle. Thanks. We'll be back in a minute. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Finding the best foods the Twin Cities has to offer is easy with EatLocalMinnesota.com. Offering the top local and independently owned restaurants, EatLocalMinnesota.com has everything from burger joints to cocktails and fine dining. It's Greek to Me has been a family-owned Lynn Lake landmark since 1982. Under new ownership, the Janakis Karis family offers classically inspired modern Greek cuisine in a sublime space with gracious hospitality. Be sure to visit their charming bar and explore wines and specialty drinks from Greece. Find It's Greek to Me at 626 West Lake Street in Minneapolis or at itsgreektomemn.com. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club invites you to check out their beautiful facilities for your next special occasion. Book your wedding reception, retirement party, business dinner, or other special event with confidence, knowing their expert staff and award-winning chef will make it a big hit with your guests. Call today to get a quote, 763-571-9020. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. 
Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Oh no, you shattered your cell phone. Now what? Listen closely. We know you're lost without your phone. Bring it to Computer Revolution today. We'll fix it and have you back online before someone asks, where are you? Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair has over 18 years' experience fixing computer devices, all brands, all carriers. Computer Revolution with Cell Phone Repair, located in Roseville at Highway 36 and Fairview Avenue, or call 651-633-6600. We fix phones, same day, seven days a week. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. on LE 2.0 radio um, I know I hit you heavy with uh, the the uh, uh, truth and reconciliation commission listeners I appreciate that uh, let's go though uh, now to the big interview because maybe we'll get something a little bit more lighthearted but also still important about idealism and on the line I have with me Dr. Kurt Nelson of the Lantern Group based out of Minneapolis Dr. Kurt how are you I am doing well, Ellie. How are you? I'm doing great. And we should make sure everybody understands that you are not like a medical doctor, although you have a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. And your um, your organization, Lantern Group, deals with behavior, right? Right. We do a lot of work with organizations around uh, applying behavioral sciences inside of that. And then also have a podcast called Behavioral Grooves, where we explore behavioral science impact on life and work positively applying behavioral science insights so behavioral grooves i love it it's just such yes. a yes because we all get into our, our grooves don't we and uh, <laughs> we do we do well okay so dr kurt i've had you on um multiple different kinds of shows that we've done and and i've asked you to be on the show because i wanted to talk about the science of being an idealist if that's even a Maybe not. Maybe that's an oxymoron. I don't know. But, but um, could you? You know, my show is about idealism. I bill myself as a practical idealist. Um, how about uh, give us the take uh, according to uh, uh, the psychologist world? All right. What is an idealist, and and how does how does somebody get there to be one of those? <laughs> I don't know if there's a scientific way of getting there, but I, I, I can tell you, you know, so as, as we talked about this, right, the, the kind of definition for an idealist is a person who is guided more by ideals than practical considerations. And so if you think about that, it seems counterintuitive to kind of our self-interest, right? We're doing things that are for the better good and not just for, you know, moving myself forward in the world and making better for me and my, my family, which if you think about evolutionary psychology, uh, which basically takes Darwin's principles and applies them yeah. to why we do what we do, you wonder, well, that seems, again, something that wouldn't necessarily be true. The fact of the matter is, though, there's some recent work in evolutionary psychology where they talk about why do we why do we form community? Why do we do all these other things, which, again, may not there. And so I think some of the the background for idealism comes from that. In other words, in order to survive as people, we had to realize that we had to work together and that we had to do things for others that didn't necessarily benefit us. And then as a result of that, you can take that to the much larger perspective of idealism, where you're looking out to say, what's the good for the community? What's the good for this larger group that doesn't necessarily benefit me? But in order for that group to survive, in order for us to to flourish, we need to be able to be thinking outside of our own self-interest. 
Well, some of this is about altruism, and I'm, you know, remembering back to my very long ago days at Coe College in a sociobiology class where, you know, Jane Goodall's uh, study of chimps and other studies of primates have revealed that, 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 there's, that there's altruism within those, um, within those communities. And, yeah. You know, and so really, I mean, uh, humans, I, I mean, we've had to have some altruism. We've had to have people who are willing to sacrifice for others and who are willing to think in a, in a bigger way that, you know, but, but in this world where we are right now, uh, Dr. Kurt, we've got, you know, we've got this thing about capitalism. We have this thing about entrepreneurism, you know, which seems to run counter to idealism. And is that, I mean, you know, I'm always trying to push this word idealist and ideal and the phrase idealism out there. And it's, do you think because we're so oriented towards money now that that's why it's taken not only a second seat, but probably a 15th seat in the bus? <laughs> I, so I think humans are complex. And because we're complex, I think we can be many things depending upon context and circumstances and i think we tend to lean personality profiles right if you look at personality profiles doesn't mean if we're a extrovert that we're always outgoing and always being different things on in general we're we're more likely to be that way than others and i think idealism is is similar in that way right and so i also think that means that an entrepreneur can be an idealist. I think a capitalist in a certain degree can be. I think it just depends on the, the, the overall amount of idealism and various different things. And so it's less likely. And I think you, you bring up a good point though, Ellie, in regards to the, the motivation behind this. And, and in our world today where money tends to have a, a overarching kind of larger than life component where we're trying to we, we look up to those people who have a lot of money or it seems like that's what the media portrays and and how we kind of generally kind of move forward and saying, oh, what am I going to do in order to make more money this month or this week or this day? And I think that part, when that takes over, in other words, where that becomes the focal point, um, then idealism by its very nature probably isn't going to flourish. I think where idealists come into play is that they generally have more of an intrinsic motivation. In other words, that they're doing this because it is meeting some internal drive for them that this is really important. Um, and, and less so on that extrinsic reward of saying, I'm doing this because I'm going to get X. I'm going to get either more money or I'm going to get whatever accolades or whatever other kind of gift or thing that comes out of this well right so, yeah and the, but the uh, i'm interrupting you sorry but the no uh, perfect but the the payoff for our idealists is you know not that we've got that you know brand new mercedes in the uh, garage you know or or that um you know the bank account has gone up by x or y i mean uh the payoff for idealists is is much larger and i think that it's way more difficult for idealists to put their finger on about here's the payoff okay um, yeah, i think you oh, know so i don't know how that fits into behavior <laughs> well no so so it comes into it, it is harder to, to to point to that right when you think about somebody so i, I think and and you're the expert on idealists here i think more so than even me but i would i would hypothesize that there is this component of self-identity that an idealist has, that they feel like it is part of who they are at their core, that they are out to, to benefit the world or benefit the larger community. And for them in, in striving to do that, even though you're facing challenges and pushbacks and a variety of, of other negative components you might not you might be driving that you know 600 dollar toyota tercel from 1990 um and not that mercedes-benz <laughs> but you're making a difference in the world and making that difference is what motivates you it's, it's that drive that you have and it aligns with who you are who you see yourself self-identity isn't necessarily who you are but who you see yourself as so 
for that reason, you're, you're taking this intrinsic motivational drive, which in all of the research, um, is far more sustainable and long lasting and oftentimes more powerful than, than external extrinsic drive, that money, that car, whatever yeah. it would be. Although, extrinsic reward can hijack intrinsic reward and so that's where i think some people get stuck right well listen we're going to take a break um but when we come back i want to talk more about this reward and and more about um this just general concept of altruism because even though i'm an 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 idealism as well as even though i'm an idealist i still have um confusion about how i got here um we're speaking (laughs) we're speaking with dr kurt nelson of the lantern group about idealism and idealists if you like what you hear visit my website at elliekrug.com where i talk about idealism quite a bit um or follow me on twitter at ellie krug we'll be back in a minute with dr kurt nelson thank you This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. We have families waiting for a car. You know, over 85% of unemployed are successful in finding and keeping a job if they have dependable transportation. A car plus a job equals a life changed. 612-919-5526. We have families waiting for a car. 919-5526. Or Auto Tech. Being a dog is awesome, except when you really got to go, but you're stuck inside. That's why I had my human called the Urban Dog. Daily walks, field trips, play groups, one-on-one time, safe off-leash play, and pet sitting. I love being an Urban Dog. The Urban Dog works with your schedule and can create a plan that fits your needs. The Urban Dog. Exercise, explore, socialize. Let the journey begin. Call 651-231-6333. That's 651-231-6333. Tom Hartman here telling you that solar energy isn't just for environmentalists. Switching to all-energy solar is actually perfect for reducing your carbon footprint while also saving money on your monthly electric bill. The fact that solar panels cause no earth-harming emissions while it's producing energy is a bonus. Who in the world could object to that? But they can also help you save money month after month for decades. And they do it with a clean footprint. So go green and start saving money today by visiting allenergysolar.com. I'm Rick Unger. You've heard the screamers. You've heard the shouters, the haters, the beraters. Well, now it's time to listen to a real conversation, a rational conversation. Now it's time for the Rick Unger Show. Listen to the Rick Unger Show every weekday from 5 to 7 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stream at am950radio.com or search KTNF on the TuneIn app. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. Let me tell you about the best parts of buying a vehicle with Rudy Luther. First, their staff is wonderful, friendly, and always ready to help. Another is the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchase, you'll get three years of 10 cents off per gallon of gas at Holiday Station stores, as well as discounted car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy in your Rudy Luther vehicle. Find out more at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today, patchy fog before 10 a.m. with a high near 38 and the low around 26. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 44 and the low around 30. And Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 44 and the low around 33. Your Eat Local Minnesota's Restaurant of the Week is the Downtowner Wood Fire Grill. The Downtowner is the perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Experience their cozy fireside dining alongside their delicious food and extensive wine list. Check out the full menu at downtownerwoodfire.com. And 
We're back on LE 2.0 Radio. Oh, my goodness. I love my bumper music. All right. We've been speaking for the big interview with Dr. Kurt Nelson from the Lantern Group. Dr. Kurt is an industrial organized organizational psych- psychologist. Dr. Kurt, before we took our break – oh, and thanks for being on the show. Before we took our break, um, we were talking about what is the are the internal, internal drives for um, – idealists and you know how that is different than you know external drives like getting a big reward or whatever and i you know i just want to share with you so get ready i'm getting on your couch here okay even though i know you're not a that kind of a psychologist but we kid That's around okay, we kid around and and so here's the story with me okay um you know i um i can't fully explain why it is that every day that i get up I say that I'm going to work to make the world a better place. I mean, I literally say that to myself multiple times every day. I'm a workaholic. I'm probably working 70 hours a week, you know, in, in a variety of formats. The show is one of those, you know, I, I think you get my newsletter that goes out every month, the, the Ripple. Yep. You know, I, I'm speaking across North America. Um, you know, I write for Lavender Mag. I, I do all of that stuff. I mean, way more than what I should be doing. And yet I don't ever feel tired, okay? And I don't, I mean, I do feel... Um, uh, I do feel uh, overwhelmed at times by all the things coming at me, um, but I never lose this internal thing, this internal thing about wanting to make the world a better place. And I have no idea why I'm that way. Yeah, it's it's an interesting component. And I'm going to go on to this element where you, you talk about how you're not feeling tired from this and, and various different things because – I, I probably many of your listeners, I know a lot of the people that when I work with organizations, you know, they talk about burnout, just so exhausted and various different things. And I think what happens and we, we know this from um, work motivation is right. There's lots of reasons we're motivated at work. Getting things is one. The social component is another challenge is another. But there's this fourth component that is about this this purpose. What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Because it again, it lines back with our self identity, who we believe we are. What is the reason that we're on this earth? <laughs> um, and we all have different ideals about that and different thoughts. But when what you do aligns with that ideal of who, of, of why you're here yeah. and what you want to make a difference of, that is one of the most motivating and most powerful motivators that can be there. And so, Ellie, I think for you, what this, I mean, what it just really reinforces for me is that you've called, you found your calling. <laughs> and so that this is the work that is destined for you. If I'm not a big destiny believer, but you've come to it, right? And so you have, you, you found it. And so, you know, the, the multiple of reasons of why that is, I mean, it can be a variety of different things. It goes back to your history, your, you know, your makeup and all of those different factors, but you found it. And so, you know, embrace it. Well, I've got to tell you, you're touching my heart. And with, with you saying that, actually, I'm starting to tear up a little bit. And I don't know why. Um, it's just, you know, it's been a long, I mean, Dr. Kurt, you know me personally outside yep. this, and you know it's been a long journey for me. And yes. I finally have gotten to be who I am, and and I'm really incredibly lucky. I have a great deal of privilege associated with that. Yep. Let me let me ask you this, okay, because I do get a lot of people who come up to me and say, you're really brave. You're really courageous for all that you're doing, for how you show up in the world. And I do bounce against... I don't like being called brave or courageous because for me in part about being who I am is about self-survival. Um, but on the other hand, I don't, I don't want to get this big ego. I don't want to have delusions of grandeur here about the stuff that I do or how I get recognition in the public. And, and, and sometimes I, I put forward those recognitions in the public, not, not to say, oh, look how great Ellie Krug is, but instead to help the brand be larger so that I would have greater impact in the world. Do you understand the difference between those two? And, and so I don't know how to bounce around with that. Yeah, it's it, you're talking, and I think there's there's a component here that that comes into why you're doing what you're doing, and and why people do what they do, and and there can be, I think there could be idealists who are doing things out there that seem 
like we're we're doing some great things and viewing a wonderful thing for the community or for the larger world but they're doing it with a self-interest um, right. agenda right on the back end right that and they're am, doing this yep. because this is going to help me look good in the eyes of whatever stakeholders i'm trying to impress the fact is is that i think there's probably different ways that people show up to this and that doesn't necessarily minimize the impact that they're having it does impact why they're doing it and probably to some degree they're how long they're going to sustain with that and various different pieces and, and along that the the back end on that is that there is a component that you talk about that you're doing you're you're taking those components out into the public to help the larger cause and that really comes down to i think what an idealist really is and so that grand, that illusion of grandeur i don't think is there i think that's this almost false pretense of I'm bigger than I am. What you're saying is I'm just going to use whatever publicity I get to help further the cause that I so truly believe in. That And that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I, I really shirk down when people want to start praising me in public because that's not the, fo- I don't want that focus. And yeah, you know, and so, all right. Well, see, we're getting great psychoanalysis here of Elliot Krug. <laughs> Let me throw something else at you, okay? Because we've got about four minutes here left. And, and, and that is this. You know, I interview a lot of idealists on this show, a lot of people who are working out to, to change the world. And I have one common question I always ask them is, how did you get to be who you are? And time and again, what I see, what I hear from our, my guests is that, is that there was somebody in their life that modeled for them. Very oftentimes it was a parent, you know, or somebody else in their life, you know, that told them that they had to go out and help people that, you know, or that the parent was going out and volunteering all the time or talking about the need to make the world a better place. Could you talk for a second about how important modeling is? And if you could throw in something about the value of mentoring. And I know that I'm hitting you cold on this, but I know that you can handle it Um, (laughs) because in our society, we're not mentoring nearly enough. No. And you bring up a really good point. We learn through um, our interactions with others and particularly others that we feel like we want to emulate. And so there is this component. So you talk about your, your guest saying it was a parent or somebody else in their life kind of that, that they modeled themselves after. This is a common component across all learning, not so much school learning, but just learning in life as we think about right. it. Right. We, we learn a, a number of different things and we learn because we, if you ever saw those old anti-smoking um, commercials where you know there was the child and they're looking up and you could tell it was a parent and they're washing the car and they're doing all these things and all this and then the parent starts to smoke and it was this whole component of they will emulate you they will follow oh. your direction so you need to stop smoking not for you but for your kid right. um, but there's a there's truth to that right there is a very strong component where we see that where we learn there's there's a genetic component there's a you know some of that but most of our learning is through observing and interacting with people that are in our in our inner circle and at first that's our parents secondly then it becomes this core group of close-knit friends Um, and then there's also this component of looking up to people that we want to we want to be like and so we we reach out for those people and we we try to figure out what's making them tick you also talked about mentoring and i agree with you i think mentoring in this world i think we we just don't do enough of it we think about mentoring oftentimes from work um but i think that there's also life mentoring right and we're both part of a of a of a rotary group um, which is, you know, service above self and a variety of other things. And I think there's some forms of mentoring that you can get from social organizations, religious um, organizations, various different things that we don't necessarily take advantage of. We're not looking to say, how do I mentor myself as a human? 
as opposed to just as an employee or a worker. And those are some really powerful things that if people just go out and look, look around, what are your interests? Where, what are some organizations that you can start belonging to? Join them, volunteer with them and, and take advantage of the people that are there because they're doing the things again. If they're doing the things that you want to do, they can help you be better at that and and learn how to do it. Well, and I'd throw in, look around you and who can you mentor to as well, because we have so many lost youth. We have so many people who are, you know, younger folks who are afraid or or getting, you know, they they can't look up from the screen because they don't know what else to look at um, or to do. So... Um, and I, I mean, you know, and I, I speak as, you know, as a, a former big sister, but continued mentor of, you know, somebody that I've been with for six and a half years. So, yeah. well, listen, Dr. Kurt, I could talk with you for the whole show and maybe someday we'll have you back and do an entire show. But you have been just so incredibly wonderful. I love talking with you because we can bounce so many different things off. Thank you for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio where we could talk about idealism. Ellie, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. Okay, listeners, we've been speaking to Dr. Kurt Nelson of the Lantern Group. He's an industrial organization organizational psychologist and um, please go look at his uh, their blog post behavioral grooves to get a better idea of the work that they do when we come back from the break we'll do my uh, c block where i'll share a story with you about how i try to um, do good in the world thanks Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals, and we're making the dirt dead, and then we're adding nitrates to the water, and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. If you have a painting project, you should consider hiring Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. We've been awarded nationally for craftsmanship, are highly professional, responsive, and fairly priced. If you feel overwhelmed by starting a painting project, we make it easy from start to finish. We move furniture, vacuum, sweep, dust, and put your home back the way we found it. There is a difference. Our professionalism sets us apart. Visit N-I-C-K-S-L-A-V-I-K.com. That's NickSlavic.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shambot from Shambot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. We always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says, If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Oh, Lord, to my soul gets it right. 
Ellie 2.0 Radio. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Kurt Nelson, I'll tell you, I, I meant what I said. I could talk to him all day. I mean, we could devote a whole show talking about behavior and how people act and all of that stuff because we are social animals. We are. We do learn from each other, both positively and negatively. We do. All right, so now we're into uh, my Block C, where I share a little bit about my work, about things that I encounter in the world, you know, and um, and and uh, you know, Chad Larson, who who run owns the station, is like Ellie. You've got to talk about your work, and and now we're bouncing to what I just talked about with Dr. Kurt Nelson, which is about oh, you know, um, I don't want it all to be about Ellie Krug. I, but but how else can we? How else can we? We learn if we don't tell our stories, and and in many ways, my stories involve stuff that I do. So please bear with me, and thank you for uh, being gracious about that. So, um, within the last month, I've been traveling quite a bit. That's why, um, and unfortunately, you've heard a couple of um, Best of Ellie shows, and I'm sorry about that. I I really try and keep this show fresh, but sometimes it's unavoidable. And within the last uh, month, I've been in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Richmond, Virginia, and Tyson's Corner, which is right outside of uh, D.C. And all of this has been part of training organizations on gray area thinking. Now, you've heard me talk about gray area thinking a great deal, which is it's a tool set on how to be welcoming to people who are other, quote other, from, quote, us. And as I like to say, we can make anybody other. I can bring in a dozen 40-year-old blonde-haired dudes and line them up in a wall and we can make each one of them other. Oh, my goodness. Look at how tall he is. And he is so short. We can do that because we do do that as human. Now, there are three principles of gray area thinking. And bear with me. I know some of you have heard this before. The first element of gray area thinking is awareness of human vulnerability or suffering. The second element is risk-taking to lessen or alleviate that vulnerability. The third element of gray area thinking is acting with compassion or kindness. It spells out the acronym ARC, A-R-C, Awareness, Risk-Taking, Compassion. You know, and the challenge for me is that while I go around North America training about gray area thinking, the challenge is to the extent, to what extent do you, Ellie Krug, Ellie Krug, you, to what extent do you follow your gray area thinking principles? So I had a chance, I put myself to the test um, uh, last week um, when I was in Tyson's Corner. And so let me relate this very quick story with you. I'd been in a hotel, Embassy Suites, um, and I was checking out of the hotel. I needed to get a a receipt for the bill. And um, as I walked up to the counter, I saw that there was already a woman standing at the counter um, off to the, you know, there were different, there were two two counter people, and she was with one of those counter people from the hotel. Older woman, I would guess, in her late 40s, maybe early 50s, um, and and, uh, she was... Uh, not only talking to the counter person in front of her, but she was, this customer was also crying. Um, this customer, this guest. And I noticed that. And, um, and I noticed it very visibly that she was crying. Um, and, and, and right away, that caused me to try and figure out if I should do something. Now, many people, they would maybe ignore that because it makes people uncomfortable. And it does. That made me uncomfortable as well. But I'm really trying to do my best about making the world a better place and following the gray area thinking principles. So I um, I had to – it took a little bit for me to get the bill from another counter person, but I did. And then as I folded that and put that into my purse, I thought, well, what am I going to do? And by that point, I saw that the guest, the, the woman who had been crying, had moved from the counter over to a chair that was near the front desk. And, um, and I, it, it looked like she was still crying. And so I went up to her. I did. So remember, the, the elements of gray area thinking are awareness, risk-taking, and compassion. So first of all, I was aware that she was suffering in some form. I mean, she was crying. I have no idea why. I still don't know why she was crying. 
the second element of gray area thinking is risk taking. So, I mean, going up to her, just going up to her is taking a risk. I risk that I will offend her in some way or that I will embarrass her or embarrass myself. But I went up to her. And what I did was this. I, I leaned down and I just said, would you like someone to talk to? I said, I'm willing to sit and just listen. And she looked at me and, and she said, no. And I said, okay, because I wasn't going to press it. That was not my job. But then I said this. So remember, the third element is compassion. And so I said, okay, that's fine, of course. And then, my, I, then I said to her, please know that you are loved by many. And then I just smiled at her and, and then I left. That's all I did. I think the whole thing maybe took 10 seconds, if that. And then I walked out of the hotel and I went on with my business. Now, what I just told you is not about Ellie Krug being anybody great. It's not about me being some superhuman that, you know, I'm here to tell you how you should live your life. Okay? Um, all I'm doing is just sharing a story with you about how I reached out to someone. And the thing is, is if we look around, we will see that with other humans all over the place. We will. And it's important that we watch for that. There are many people hurting in this world. Maybe I'm you know, speaking to someone right now who's hurting. But I do mean what I said to that, that woman, and I'm going to say it to all of you right now. You are loved. People do care about you. I care about you. Okay, well, um, that's another show <laughs> in the can. Um, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the few transgender radio hosts in the world. I've got to take that out of there because we don't need to have that, I guess. Um, with Ellie 2.0 Radio, if you like what you hear, email me at, at lejkrug at gmail.com. Um, a big thanks to our sponsor, Brending Electrolysis. Please tell Bev over in St. Paul, and it is worth the trip. Um, tell her I said hi. She does incredibly great work. Um, please go and 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 uh, patronize Brending Electrolysis. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are like the best. And you, my listeners, a big thanks to you for tuning in every, every week. I, I hear from some of you. I love it. I'm glad that I'm making a difference. Please go forward in the world and make a difference on your own as well. Thank you. Bye-bye.